Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Dave Berry, and I am fascinated by my next-door neighbor. His name is Neil Srinivasan, and he's a leading cardiologist. Whether it's when we're taking our kids to the local park or when we're sharing a pint or two down the pub, I've always been left with more questions about his profession than I have had answers. In The Doctor Next Door, I'll be asking Neil the burning questions that keep me up at night, dissecting medical myths under his watchful eye and doing my utmost to learn more about an industry that is quite literally a matter of life and death. But this podcast isn't just here to feed my own curiosities, oh no. I want you to be involved in these conversations too. Please allow Neil to be your doctor next door. If you have any questions or stories, send them to doctor@nextdoorpod.com right now. Oh, here we go. It's the doctor. Hey, Neil. Hi, David. Good to see you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, now, I know that people are engrossed by the neighbourhood gossip that Ooh. we deliver at the beginning of each edition of Doctor Next Door. Indeed. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, set your goose pimples to stun because the local neighbourhood has a new sheltered bus stop, everyone. Woohoo! It is amazing, isn't it? I saw it being installed. Oh, wow. I photographed it. I thought we could talk about this on the next edition of the podcast. (laughs) Is that content? I then asked myself. Yeah, we got a new new bus stop. Has it it got one of those things that tell you when the bus is coming? No. Now, that is, it doesn't have that. That would be useful, wouldn't it? Because I never know when the bus is coming. It changes changes a, a sheltered bus stop into a destination. Yes. You know, it's a place you want to be seen. If you can see yeah. when the buses are coming, yeah, exactly. it's due now. Yes. Five that minutes, would make such 68 a... minutes. Exactly. That would make such a big difference. I remember this time I was going to a conference, in fact, and I got really early to wait at that bus stop and no bus came for 40 minutes. 40, I know. I missed my Eurostar to Marseille thanks to that bus stop not yeah. having that sign. Well, it's gone. Yeah. That old bus stop is but a memory. And the new bus stop, it's also got those fancy... I think yes. it's in there because of the advertising. I saw that. I'm yeah. looking for a picture of you on it soon. No. I'm not the kind of guy who puts his picture on anything. Oh, I see. But I see you on bins all the time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a big thing. to my uh, radio breakfast show and the fact we give away bin stickers with my face on them. Can I have one? Uh, no. Oh. No, you can't. No, absolutely not. Uh, you haven't earned it, Neil. Oh. That's, that's the problem. Oh, that's the problem with you. Now, regular listeners to The Doctor Next Door will know that each episode of this podcast, I come to Dr. Neil with a burning question that I'm itching to find the answer to. And this week's question is of particular relevance because it's the holy month of Ramadan. 
During this month, many Muslims around the world avoid eating or drinking between dawn and sunset and go through long periods of time fasting, which must be incredibly tough. So my burning question, Dr. Neil, is how long can the human body survive without any food? Great question, David. There's a mixture of things. So water and food obviously are separate things and the human body without water probably can't survive much longer than somewhere between three days to maybe seven days at most. Your kidneys start to fail, you become dehydrated, your cells become deplete. Without food, however, your body can last a little longer. So, you know, when you are um, not eating anything, people on hunger strikes and things can go for uh, ranges of like 21 days to 40 days. And your body goes through a, a series of processes in order to survive and use what's stored. So you have fat, you have glucose, you have also something called glycogen, which is an energy store stored in your liver. And you also have muscle. So your body uses up all of those in a sort of series of ways to allow you to go through that period of hunger and try and hopefully survive and get to a period of where there's going to be food. And we talked about this before with, you know, fast and famine and how as a species perhaps we didn't always have an abundance of food. Mm -hmm. um, so what happens to the body physically uh, and mentally when it's deprived of food for long periods? So what happens initially actually in your first eight hours your body doesn't really know that you're fasting at all. We often sleep, for instance, and then break the fast by having breakfast in the morning. And so under normal circumstances, your body will just use the normal glucose that's floating around that provides energy to itself. Now, once that glucose has been all used up, and that normally gets used up by about 8 to 12 hours, the glucose stores, your body then starts to go to the liver and starts to convert glycogen, which is a sort of um, storage chemical of the glucose, and it uses that from your liver, from your muscles, and starts to use up that glycogen that's stored. And the glycogen is then broken up and it provides some amino acids, etc., and then it starts allowing you to process that and use that. But there comes then a point after that where you run out of glycogen. And then when you run out of glycogen, then you're left with basically fat or muscle. And so the body then goes into a stage of starting to say, I'm going to start using only my fat stores. And in that phase, it's a bit like the keto diet that we've talked about before. Uh -huh. You start burning pure fat and you start becoming what's called ketotic. So you, you basically break down the fat and one of the breakdown chemicals of that is ketones. A bit like people who have you know poorly controlled diabetes and get unwell, that similar chemical. So you might have a funny taste or smell in your breath. Your urine will start to smell a bit as well of those ketones if you can notice it. Right, wow. And then... After your period of that and you've gone through that period of ketosis and you've you know really start to get significant weight loss, you come to a point where you're basically at a stage of starvation and then you then start using the last of what's remaining, which is your fat, uh, which is your muscle reserves rather. Right. And females actually are able to hold on to that lean muscle and able to hold on to that protein better than males in starvation. But eventually you start using all of that up and then eventually when you get to a very seriously low body weight it then becomes risk for all manner of you know organs in your body in terms of controlling your regulation and you can become quite sick so people who are listening to this right now who may be fasting what are the kind of keys to managing the hunger so i don't really think there's anything specific in terms of keys to managing the hunger i think you know commend people from all sorts of religious faiths who do that yeah. out of dedication and love for their religion and their God. Part of that is 
that dedication, that mental dedication. But I think knowing lots of, you know, for instance, we're in the month of Ramadan, I know lots of Muslim people who fast. It's a cultural thing. It's a social thing. Uh-huh. And they very much get into that bit of, you know, we're not eating the day. Yeah. And we'll all eat together. We'll get up really early. Yeah. And we'll eat together as a family. And to us, I suppose, you know, in the Western world, it might seem very strange if you wake up at like three or four in the morning, wake up all your kids and all your family. But I think it's a really important, you know, discipline and cultural bonding that they have as part of that religion, which is so important and, and wonderful. And part of the diverse, you know, beauty of this country that we have such differences and, and different cultures that enrich us. But um, I think it all comes from, you know, your mental ability to do that mm. and then to make sure what they tend to tell me, you know, what to make sure is that you drink plenty and plenty of water in the periods where you're not fasting. So I think it's the thirst that's hardest bit. And obviously, as you say, you know, uh, when you are able to get together with your your family and you're able to enjoy that, that just that it means it's just so rewarding on so many different levels. Absolutely, and that kind of is what's going to drive you through. Absolutely. So, so it's a it's a kind of mental and a spiritual thing, mm-hmm. not necessarily a physical or medical thing. Yeah. Very nice. So uh, let's talk about, to put it on the other side of it, the calories that we should be consuming. Um, Men and women, I know it's a different number, Mm -hmm. but but what is that number and has that number changed? So as a rough guide, we're talking about 2,000 calories a day for women and about 2,500 calories a day for men. I know recently there's been a big vogue towards printing of calories in restaurants and meals and things and that's really important in terms of healthy eating yes yeah, spoiling and all the fun no no it's what you said exactly. no, what, what neil said yeah. Joe, not, not spoiling the fun exactly <laughs> and so so that allows you to calorie count and calorie counting is quite important if you take more calories than you need per day then obviously you'll then eventually start to put on weight uh-huh. in the wrong ways now that being said, those are rule of thumb guides. So it might be, for instance, that depending on the size of you and the amount of exercise you do, that you might need more calories or less calories. So, for instance, if you are, you know, a soldier marching in the army and, you know, doing lots of exercise all day, they, they might need 4,000, 5,000 calories a day. A f- footballer, for instance, might need, you know, different amounts of calories because of the amount of energy they consume. But I think for the average you know, person in this country, a good guide is 2,000 for women and 2,500 for men. And if you can work on those, for example, if you want to lose weight, maybe you want to take 1,800 calories a day as a man, for instance, and take that as a target, you will eventually lose weight. It is time now on Doctor Next Door for everybody's favourite part of the podcast. It was mine until last week when I failed to answer a single question correctly as part of my medical training. I have to do better this week. And doing better, meaning I only have to answer one question correctly. I just feel like I've let myself down. I feel like I've let my family down. But worst of all, I feel like I've let you, my mentor, Dr. Neil Srinivasan, down. So I am sorry and I am determined to do better. Oh, David, you shouldn't feel like that. I think I'm really proud of you as a student. You've done so amazingly. And uh, we all go through these emotions as medical students. We all have these periods where we think we can't make it. And you will. I think you're doing great. Thanks very much indeed. Um, Okay, so we have three more questions. Settle down. It's about to begin. So, David, your first question is... What blood types are mosquitoes most attracted to? Tough one. What blood types are mosquitoes most attracted to? Is it blood type A? Is it blood type B? Or is it blood type O? So... 
what blood type are mosquitoes most attracted to A, B or O? Who's been asking them? Okay, I've got my answer. Okay, good. Well, I mean... <laughs> Could be anything, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the doctor saying that. <laughs> exactly. Why have we wrapped this up so... This is so complicated. Okay, go cool, on, carry on. Okay, question two. I'm not the vet next door. I mean... <laughs> Right. If, if someone has a condition called sleep apnea, what would their main symptom be? Sleep apnea. We've done this before. We've... Ah, exactly. So oh, no. are you going to do Come well? On, unlock, okay. Is unlock it, a, it. A, B, or C one. Yeah. Their breathing stops and starts in their sleep. Yeah. They struggle to fall asleep. Yeah. Or oh. C, they are falling asleep too much. Come on, brain. Remember so something from the previous edition of the podcast. Breathing stops and starts in their sleep. Yeah. Struggle to fall asleep or falling asleep too much. Okay. And okay. then your favourite bit, true or false, 50-50. I got Here it wrong go. last week. It was a tough one there last week. Yeah. You'll get this one. You should tilt your head back when you have a nosebleed. Answer, true or false. Tilt your head back. So, I have jotted down my three answers. The Doctor will be revealing all right after this, where I want you to enjoy this podcast from the producers who work so hard and diligently on The Doctor Next Door. Hello, I'm Jess Phillips, an MP, and if you don't already know, I'm now a fully-fledged podcaster. My show is called Yours Sincerely, and in each episode, I invite a guest to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. I've spoken to Lorraine Kelly about the letter she would send to celebrate her favourite teacher. Vicky Patterson about the letter she would send to her best friend who passed away. And Fee Glover talked to me about how much she loves Taylor Swift. The conversations are a celebration of people we love. And so we often find ourselves in tears of joy and sadness as guests share the letters of appreciation they wish they could send. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or by searching for Jess Phillips wherever you listen to podcasts. And with that, I'll sign off with yours sincerely, Jess Phillips. I hope you get to enjoy my podcast soon. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to The Doctor Next Door. It is time for Dr. Neil to reveal the three answers to the three questions we have all been faced with as part of my medical training. Neil? Take it away. So, if you remember, your first question was, what blood type are mosquitoes most attracted to? Was it blood type A? Was it blood type B? Or was it blood type O? O. Yes! He's back! My man! <laughs> yes! Oh, yes. Oh, I feel so good. Why did good. you go with O? Oh. What made you think that? Um, isn't it the most common blood type? So therefore, there's most of it about. No, I think O is quite rare. Actually. Oh, okay. No, it's yeah. the rarest blood type. Mm. <laughs> Remember uh, that from the hematology lesson yeah, we had? So it's we? like yeah. um, you know they they want to they want to have the good stuff, the rare stuff. Mm, they want to exactly. order from the menu, the the extra special menu. It's at the back. It's the most expensive. Yeah, they want those little delights exactly. in their faces. Exactly that. Yeah. So generally speaking, they seem to be more attracted to the O blood type than other types. Uh, according to some studies. So people with different blood types, what they mean is that you have different antigens, so different little proteins stuck onto those red blood cells. So if you have A, for example, you have A antigens on the surface and so on and so forth. And um, you can also have antigens in other parts of the body, you know, know, fluid in the saliva, tears, sweat, all those kind of things. And for some reason, the mosquitoes seem to take to this O-type blood type, which is interesting. The other thing, interestingly, it seems that O blood type people have warmer bodies, so maybe that's also attractive to mosquitoes. Ah, oh, that that will be it. Mm. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Got it. Okay, points, lovely stuff. Very good. Okay, so your next question, question two, was about sleep apnea. And it was, what was your main symptom if you had sleep apnea? Mm. And the options were A, B and C. A was uh, your breathing stops and starts when you sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. B was you struggle to fall asleep, and C was falling asleep too much. I've gone for A. Very good. Yeah, I remember it. Back on fire. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. I I remembered it from when we did it previously. Absolutely. Good stuff. So, yeah, in sleep apnea, your breathing stops and starts when you sleep, and you might notice that people are snoring a lot, choking a lot in their sleep, snore loudly. And what actually happens is it's related to obesity. So... If you're really overweight, you have a really large neck and then you have very weak muscles around the neck which are meant to keep the tongue away and the airway open. And so what happens in in these people is related to obesity, sometimes related to poor muscle tone, is that as they sleep and we relax our tongue and we relax our, you know, breathing muscles, that the airway collapses. So the snoring sound you often get is actually a degree of airway collapsing. Sometimes it's obstruction in the nose itself. But what happens in sleep apnea patients, which is often related to um, obesity, is that the airway actually collapses intermittently. And so what these people get is very poor sleep because they're basically starving themselves of oxygen. And then if you put, for example, a pulse monitor on them, their oxygen is dipping, dipping, dipping as they sleep. And then suddenly something wakes them to gasp for air because they're becoming hypoxic. So they never get into a proper deep sleep. They don't get into proper REM sleep that that they should do. And you'll find that then they are more somnolent or sleepy in the day. So they'll be trying to do a task like write something or watch a TV show or movie. And they'll fall asleep in the day because of that. And so that sort of repeated cycle. 
and it can be associated sleep apnea then with lots of you know medical diseases so very bad for your heart associated with a higher risk of heart disease and so on and so forth and so therefore can be quite um a concerning thing and the things to do are to obviously control your weight but in some cases they actually have to sleep with a special type of mask um, called a CPAP mask so they put this mask on strap it on and it actually forces the air through the airways gives positive pressure to help maintain the airways open to help them sleep at night okay um I, after all of that i don't really want to say another point for me but, <laughs> but i am but, so yeah, there you go exactly uh, two out of three so this is it all right i'm back you're back come on i can do this yeah it's a true or false it's isn't a true it? or false 50 50 and i think you could get this come i'm on. sure we've gone through this before true oh. or false you have a nosebleed you should tilt your head back true or false i am going with uh, false He's yes. back. Thanks, Doctor. Woo-hoo. You want to get it all out, don't yeah, you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a feeling that, oh, I've got a nosebleed, I don't want to spill it on my shirt or something mm. like that, and put your head back. But actually what you should do is dip your head forwards, let it all come down. You don't want to obstruct your airway and let the blood come down the back of your throat and those kind of things. You want to let it come down forwards and then pinch your nose softly and then occasionally you, you know you can do things like uh, pinch areas there to stop the bleeding as if you're compressing it why why you know every time i had a nosebleed as a child or at school why is it in the the kind of ether of society that we put our heads back when we have a nosebleed what why is that i think it's a reflex thing and as you say um it's a society thing right so you don't want to spill it everywhere so you think oh, i'll put my head back right. and try not spill it over everybody or the floor or so the, you're telling me all those years Mrs. White, the dinner lady, was more concerned about the floor in the canteen exactly. than she was my health. Exactly. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, so it's three out of three very this good. week on my medical training. Thank you very much indeed, Dr. Neil. I hope you did as well as I did where you are. And of course, there'll be more medical training next Wednesday on the podcast. This podcast isn't just about myself and Dr. Neil. We love it when you get in touch and share your questions and your stories. You can also get in touch with a shout out, if you will, to someone maybe you know in the world of medicine that deserves a little bit of recognition. Send it all along to doctoratnextdoorpod.com or you can find us on the socials at docnextdoorpod. So let's get this week's correspondence. And this week we've had an email from Sarah. And it reads, Hello Dave and Dr Neil. Last year, when my 14-year-old son was having a regular eye checkup, they noticed a shadow in his eye and referred him to the hospital and was diagnosed with arrested hydrocephalus. After nearly a year of having scans, we have finally had some good news that the swelling is starting to reduce and they are getting ready to discharge him. But the thing that worries me the most is my son never had any symptoms or complained about headaches, blurry vision, and it worries me so much that it might come back without any symptoms. So my question is, after someone gets a diagnosis, what percentage stay in the clear and what are the most important things for him to look out for? Thank you from Sarah. Well, Sarah, thank you very much indeed for your message. And as a parent, I can, and I know Neil as well, completely understand why you're so worried about this. And we are just really pleased that your your son had some good news and he, he's coming out of hospital. So what should they be looking out for and which percentage of people who have suffered this stay in the clear? So, I mean, it's wonderful news that he's got better. And thank you, Sarah, for writing in. 
Obviously, myself, as we've talked about, David, I'm not a neurosurgeon or a brain expert, but I do know some bits and bobs from medical school and from my training about this sort of condition. There are some chambers inside the brain, they're called ventricles, these cavernous chambers, and they're filled with our cerebrospinal fluid. And that fluid con connects all the way from the brain down into the spinal cavity, and it cleans the brain, that fluid. And between the third and the fourth ventricle, there is a channel called an aqueduct. And aqueductal stenosis occurs when there's narrowing of that channel. When there's a narrowing of that channel, that can occur for many reasons, you know, from external blockages to internal blockages, etc. The fluid is still being made at the upper chambers. And so those upper chambers begin to fill and it swells and stretches the brain. So although in this case we didn't have any symptoms... Normally, people do complain of things like headache, difficulty walking, difficulty with their balance, trouble remembering things, sometimes problems with their bladder and dizziness and eyesight problems. So it's those sort of things to look out for. And beyond that, you know, it's kind of repeat scans and making sure that you're in touch and with, with your you know medical experts in terms of how this is being treated and making sure that this is being looked at and properly. Uh, arrested hydrocephalus, so the term hydrocephalus really refer refers to this increase in volume in, those, in that fluid. And arrested hydrocephalus is occurring when the pressure returns to normal, but the ventricles themselves look dilated on the scan. And the CSF is the, the spinal fluid is absorbing normally and sort of development starts to you know, progress normally, but the ventricles remain a bit sort of dilated, but doesn't really cause a long-term problem. It's thought that this sort of thing can occur around 4 to 5% of the time, so there is a re recurrence rate. But I'm sure, you know, the neurologists and the neurosurgeons will be experts in terms of making sure that's looked at, making sure that's scanned at appropriate intervals, and making sure that, you know, sun is looked after appropriately. So you're saying that, um, you know, to answer the, the final part of, of Sarah's email to us, what percentage stay in the clear? You, 95%, so about, isn't it? Yeah, okay. Well, we hope that puts your mind at rest because I think that can only be considered kind of good news. And I know you must have had the most uh, difficult past year, Sarah, but I'm glad that you and your son are well. And thank you very much indeed for uh, getting in touch with us here at Doctor Next Door. And that's it for this episode of Doctor Next Door. As ever, thank you to my co-host and next door neighbour, Dr Neil Srinivasan. We will have another episode for you next Wednesday when Dr Neil will be here making medicine make sense for us ordinary folk. And I'll have another burning question ready for him to tackle. Please rate, review and subscribe from wherever you usually get your podcasts. And if you do know a doctor, nurse or medical professional who you think might like what you've just heard, then do let them know. Uh, but now... Please, everybody, get out of my house. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.